0: Welcome back to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel. Joined today, as always, by Chris Bouguet. How are you doing, Chris? Great, Rachel. Glad to be here. Well, I guess I'll let you kind of dive right in and tell us a little bit about who you interviewed and what it's all about.
1: Yeah, this interview is with Mark Barley, who is from the Able Gamers Association. And gaming is something that I know uh, most speech-language pathologists do. Most people do, right? I mean, do you play games, Rachel? Is there any games that you play?
0: I mean, I play a ton of games, sure. I don't know if I would call myself a gamer but what does does being a gamer entail?
1: Well, when you hear the word gamer, when you say the word gamer, are you thinking video games or are you thinking tabletop games? Honestly,
0: yes. I'm thinking about like my twin brother who like all of our childhoods spent like in front of a television playing Sega Genesis and Nintendo.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that is like the majority of kids, right? I mean, I think a lot of people play video games and that's really what Mark Barley's organization is all about. It's about helping people have disabilities uh play video games like imagine you have some sort of physical disability and you really want to connect with people through games but and that's something you really uh, would like to do but because of some sort of um, motor impairment you can't hold a controller well that's what his organization does so i have some little experience with playing video games because um uh in our school district a few years ago we did a pilot program with the Xbox 360
0: and a Kinect sensor. Do you know what a Kinect sensor is? No, I've never even heard of that. What's a Kinect sensor?
1: So an Xbox 360 is like just a video game system, right? But the Kinect sensor is a sensor that has a camera and it points out into the uh, into the room. And so it can pick up your body movement. So you don't have to hold a controller, you can actually just move your hands and move your body. And it's it's like, have you seen like Just Dance or something like that where people dance around?
0: Yes. I love that game actually.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's the idea. There's a camera there. And so we uh, got a couple of those and we were able to put those in autism programs in our schools. And we kind of just like, check it out. Let's see what the results are. And of course, uh, immediately teachers wanted to do like well, what are the academics? You know, and there are certain yeah. that, that that lead to academics. Like there are certain games where you can like the uh, multiplication table would come up, and you'd have to put your arm up to hit uh, the answer. You know, try and slap the five out of the air, that kind of thing. But what, being speech language pathologist, one of the things that uh, immediately we noticed was that in the autism programs, the students started interacting more and having more uh, uh, communication. So there's this one game where they, they they're they create this avatar, right? And that just creating an avatar was a fun experience, you know, choosing mm-hmm. your facial expressions and what clothes you wanted to wear.
0: I'm going to play dumb for a sec, Chris. What's an avatar? Gotcha. So,
1: an avatar is like when you create a little character of yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like the movie avatar, if you haven't seen it. You know, there's you mm-hmm. and then there's the virtual representation of you. And so, that's gotcha. what an avatar is. Um, okay. And so, these kids would they'd create an avatar and then they would play a game where they were on, let's say, a river raft, right? And they're each taking one side of this raft as it's going down the river. And they're standing there, and uh, there's all these balloons around, and you have to jump up out of the raft and flap the balloons, and that's how you get more points. But in in order to get the most points, you have to move to the right and jump at the right time and dodge that log. And it just led to so much communication with the two uh, players together, like move, jump down, up, right, now, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Where Otherwise, they would sit in the room together, uh, sitting at the same table together, never talking because they're just filling out worksheets or whatever. And so games seem to be like a, a social way that was natural, you know? It wasn't like a forced, like, let's, let's get in the social group and talk about our feelings or something, you know? It's just we just talk about games, you know?
0: Yeah. No, that's really amazing. And I just love the, the collaboration that's involved in something like that, you know, because you need the other people in your group in order to be successful. So it's kind of like contrived in a lot of ways, but also natural because you're really focusing on something that's highly motivating to kids and teaching them how they can communicate better with one another. I do a social group with uh, kids with autism and It's the same thing. We're not using video games because I feel like we would never get their attention if we had the video games on, but we're, you know, I'm doing the same thing. I'm having kids figure out how to negotiate to get what they want and how to problem solve and how to collaborate with one another and work together. Um, And these are all just foundational social skills. So it's really great to hear that you guys kind of utilize technology to support that.
1: Yeah, you know, I think something special about the pro- the pilot program that we did is that it was kinesthetic, right? It was people up and moving. That is exactly what Mark Barlet is going to talk about in the interview is about how to how how to help people who have mobility issues become active in their gaming experience, and then they can have that. We we get into it a little bit. You'll hear it about how that's such a social experience. You know, gaming. It's not about playing the game so much as it's playing the game with my friend that might live in another state or in another country or or uh, even the, <laughs> the house next door. Uh, but because my parents won't let me get out right now, or because I physically I can't get out right now, I'm still connecting with somebody else. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, as far as the, I have one idea that just popped into my head. I'm thinking about screen time and the idea that, you know, kids are spending too much time in front of a screen, especially kids who use AAC because they're using a screen all day to talk in a lot of situations. Um, What are your thoughts on, you know, the social experience or maybe some would argue the lack thereof of using screen time and games instead of just natural playing a board game. Totally, so
1: uh, here's my first thought about screen time is that everyone just calls it screen time, but actually I think there's two different types of screen time. There's active screen time and passive screen time. So what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is you grab a kid and they go over and they turn on YouTube and they're just kind of sitting there watching YouTube, that's passive. You know, you're just sitting there or maybe it's us you know, we binge watch Netflix, you know, uh, same thing, right? We're just- I can relate. <laughs> but right now I'm using a screen, right? But I am totally uh, active, right? I'm uh, looking at you and we're talking and we're, we're having a social exchanging experience and mm-hmm. I'm still using a screen, And I think that's the big difference. You know, people would say like Minecraft, you know, we talked about that in a previous episode. Minecraft can be a a completely active experience where you're building things and you're making things and you're constructing things and you can be in the world with another person. So now you're talking about building things and making things. So I would hate for screen time as a whole to just get a bad rap when there's really two different ways to think about screen time.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, my stance on it is I... I think that we're all a little hyper connected to screens in this day and age, um, and even myself, I notice when I'm like, okay, you know, put the cell phone down or close the laptop because my my poor little eyes have been staring at screens for way too long. But with that being said, I think that it's like everything in moderation, and every kid's different. So if one child is not socializing a lot. Even, you know, a marginal increase in socialization through a video game is huge progress for that kid. You know, so I think that it's, it's very specific to each child. Um, and I also think that, you know, parents need to be a little more mindful of technology and teaching their child the repercussions of using tech, technology too much and the the ramifications of that. So I think it's less about, is it a useful tool? Because this podcast, you know, we obviously think it's a useful tool, but more just kind of having, start thinking about it and how to set parameters for it.
1: So Mark Barlay talks a little bit about that in, in the interview where... He talks about how he first got into gaming and how it was a social experience and how it started him on the path of creating this association, this uh, organization, Able Gamers, because one of his friends, he couldn't game with anymore. So I don't want to spoil anymore. Let's listen to Mark Barlet. So right now I am currently sitting in the headquarters of Able Gamers, right? And I'm talking to Mark Barley. Am I I saying your last name? Yep. Yeah. So, and uh, funny story, we used to be neighbors, lived down the street from each other, and uh, ran into each other when I said uh, to my wife, "I said I'm going to go check out this Able Gamers Foundation." There was a uh, you were running a charity event at a local um, college,
2: I think. Mm -hmm. And when I saw you there, I was like, "What are you doing here?" Like I run Able Gamers. Yep. So we were literally (laughs) lived about 200 yards apart. And discovered this thing like 10 miles away from our house. <laughs> <laughs> Never knew
1: that we had the same sort of interests uh, in that regard. So, tell me about Able Gamers. Tell everybody about, about Able Gamers. And let me just save this to, to preference it. I think most speech therapists um, are used to gaming, right? They like games. They're probably using games, but it's in the tabletop format of games. Um, and they've only recently started exploring mobile gaming and then also the other video games and how that can be used for a therapeutic, uh, uh, the the therapeutic endeavors, if you will. So So we don't have anything
2: to do with therapeutic endeavors. Mm -hmm. Um, What Able Gamers is, is we um, are a disability charity that helps break down the barriers of social isolation that often come with having a disability. And video games are the tool that we use to, um, to give voice to, to people, you know, video games are a really incredible thing because you're, your play style isn't defined by your disability. You can run and jump and and have friends and 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 participate without the trappings, the the um, stigma that oftentimes comes with disability. So we really see video games, especially internet connected video games, as as a great equalizer for people who. Might be very socially isolated in their schools and and work and such.
1: Absolutely, I mean I, I'm a huge gamer. I mean uh, my family is. Uh, when I say huge, and like I love to play video games, and I see exactly what you're talking about. Any uh, there's many people with whatever struggles they have, they can turn to gaming as a way to uh, relax. Connect. Depression,
2: pain, can just all sorts. Of, I mean we it is one form of escape we read books to escape we read you know we watch tv to escape we use video games to escape the great thing about video games is they can talk back to you you can have friends on the other side a book doesn't do that tv doesn't do that as much as i know people scream at the tv for football they don't actually hear you yeah, exactly so this is where i think video games are special because you can have really meaningful friends in fact Almost any time I log on to a game, I'm logging on to play a game with a friend. If the friend isn't there, I log back off and go find something else to do.
1: Exactly. I saw a slide once at a presentation where um, there was a quote from a student that said, parents don't get it or adults don't get it. I'm not addicted to my phone. addicted to my friends like that's what they're doing when they're playing games is that and uh, same thing with my family and my friends we play once a week i play with my friends online and it's a way of connecting with guys that i grew up with in high school the,
2: the organization was actually founded because we used video games to stay connected as i left the military and my best friend married my dorm mate and we as a family unit wanted to stay connected even though there was 1500 miles apart between us was video games um, but my but my co-founder, Stephanie, had multiple sclerosis. And one day um, we went to go play one Friday night and she didn't log in. And I called and she was crying in the background. And Albert, her husband, said that multiple sclerosis had decided that her mousing hand wasn't going to work that day. Huh. And I was seeing video games being taken uh, video games that I played to stay connected to my friend I saw them being taken away by a disability. And while I'm a person of disabilities and I have a lower extremity disability that doesn't affect the way I play video games, it dawned on me that if my family was struggling with continuing to enjoy video games while at the same time trying to overcome a disability, then other people probably were as well. And fast forward 14 years, I was clearly right. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, th- what has Able Gamers blossomed from that moment on? How did it transform and 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 to be the thing that it is today?
2: So, we initially wanted Able Gamers to just be like a web forum. I mean, this is the early days of the internet. Our thoughts were if we created a safe place for people with disabilities to come, they would share ideas. Uh, the reality was no one had any ideas, <laughs> yeah. and so that really didn't work real well. We um, spent some time very quickly. We, we, learned, we learned a valuable lesson, which is I can get anybody to do anything once with a sad story. You know, oh, little Johnny can't play this video game, big mega company, unless you add this one feature, sad face. And they add that feature for Johnny. Mm-hmm. Or I can make systemic change within the entire industry by looking and educating content makers that people with disabilities are a market that has money that they're willing to spend. So that's the path that we took. Probably the path that took longer, but the lasting change is there. So we created, we created this whole series of, of information talking about the $1 trillion that people with disabilities and people in the immediate sphere of people with disabilities has as expendable income and how we're loyal, to, we're loyal to things that support our needs. And given that the indie developers are out there creating games constantly, you know, accessibility could be a differentiator in a very crowded marketplace. Um, fast forward, all the major game companies that I'm not allowed to say have minimal accessible requirements that are required in everything that goes on their studio. Xbox now has accessibility built right into the Xbox. PlayStation has accessibility built right into the PlayStation. Um, the first video game from Naughty Dog, um, Uncharted, has accessibility in the menus. Um, that's because of the hard work of able gamers. Because we just, you know, we've actually been in a crisis, a, a crisis of conscience, the last year because you know, we spent all of this time trying to get game companies to understand that people with disabilities were a market that needed to be catered to. And then all of a sudden they said, yeah, we get it. And we're like, oh crap, now what? <laughs> now we're to help you know what to do. Right? Well, we had that already. We had that out there. We were helping them. But so what we've morphed into, which was what we really wanted to become from the very beginning. I mean, we've really gone full circle is now we're just building new technologies. We're 3D using 3D printing, which didn't exist when we started, to kind of create new ways of interacting and interfacing with video games. And we're doing a ton of grants because this technology that we come up with can be really expensive. And living with a disability oftentimes means you're living on a very fixed income. We're granting out equipment like Every other day, my grant coordinator sends me a report of another, or I'm being told to print labels so that I can go into our back room here and pull controllers off our, off our inventory to send to people. We're, um, we're branching into this thing called the expansion packs where we're partnering with day centers, rehab centers, places where people with disabilities naturally go to to create game centers within those spaces so that um, they can learn about new technologies, but also connect with other gamers with disabilities that might be in their communities. Um, we're even branching into senior living facilities, and because there's a ton of research around um, video games and and older adults, interestingly enough, there's more gamers over fifty than there are under eighteen. I think <laughs> your readers would be per- or your listeners would be pretty uh. Pretty shocked to hear that, but that's the truth. Sure. Well, I'm creeping up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: um, so let's say I mean, one of those places would be schools, right? That, um, And with, like I said, speech therapists might be working or uh, people working with disabilities, special education case managers, uh, administrators, and the families thereof. What um, uh, what are some first steps to make gaming more accessible for students, for,
2: stu- for any kid? I doing? think the first step, because we've worked with schools before, is convincing your administration that video games are a social experience. I might be being very generalizing, but I think you you see a, a natural video games are a waste of time that you will see in the school system. Like, let the home keep that. Yeah. And I think that's stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Short-sighted, maybe. Yeah. And I think the tablets... And some of the educational games and tablets have helped kind of crack that resistance because you can see learning happen and the tablet is a really low cost of entry. But um, I think that step one is administration buy-in. After you get administration buy-in, I think the the path is easy. You need to have someone in your organization that's keenly aware of video games so that you don't get – the wrong video games in. You don't want to be that school that has the call of duty club in elementary school because <laughs> right. that will make CNN. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but I think beyond, admi- I mean, that's your single point of failure is administration buy-in.
1: Yeah. We have a couple schools that I know that I work with that have uh, gaming clubs. So they'll go there after school and it'll be an event, but it's not necessarily integrated into the curriculum as you're going to play games. I mean, at least not any fun games. Do you know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. Um, which, is, which is sad because of the emphasis on STEM and the fact that half the people that reach out to Able Gamers are people who want to make games when they grow up. I would actually think that video games can be like a gateway career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I
1: totally agree because I uh, mean we my son for instance is in a coding class right now and so the thought is well what are you learning the coding for well it's to make experiences like this which is really what yep. gaming is it's like it's a shared experience um, it, that you're having um, so let me go back to the therapy aspect for for a second because I know that's not what you do able gamers per se but it, but it is what uh, the listeners of this podcast let do, and they are working with students with disabilities. So when you bring someone into the, um, people come here to your absolutely, and what, what what are they kind of looking for? What, what do you do
2: with them? So they're coming here looking for a solution to a particular problem. Um, we skew very heavily into the physical disability space. Okay. Um, only because that's where we were born from, but we're getting more and more um children with autism and different learning disabilities, we're also starting to see um, people who don't classify themselves as disabled, like elderly people mm-hmm. who are coming in here. Um, and what we're really doing is they're wanting to play video games and oftentimes I actually, I'll take that back. They're not wanting to play video games. They're wanting to play video games with blank, my son, my grandson, um my friend who just moved away uh-huh da, 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 da. and so we do an assessment we assess we have we have um for us we have a single um we have a single mantra which is exploit movement like our entire assessment process is two words exploit movement okay so anything that can be moved we figure out how to manipulate that into the game.
1: Um, I think of that
2: very similarly
1: to, um, we do augmentative communication assessments, and so let's pick somebody who can't use their speech articulators to communicate, so they're going to use uh, maybe some sort of switch system. So it's what what physical mobility do they have to access these switches or use their head or their eyes, or when we look at their motor access and say, well, how can they access this communication device? And it sounds like you do something very similar, how can we have them access the gaming that they, that they want to experience.
2: They can wiggle a finger. How do I exploit that? If they can, you know, push their knee out, how can I exploit that? If they can blink, how can I exploit that? Mm-hmm. Um, so once we we create controllers, our lab has a bunch of tools. We have a bunch of different switches, mounts, different ways for us to um, 3D print stuff. Um, one of the biggest tools we have is aluminum foil and clay. <laughs> <laughs> because we can aluminum foil and clay a, a wedge or something and then put it on the 3D scanner and print out a, a, a more durable copy of it later. Aha. Uh-huh.
1: So you're not just sticking with the prototype of the clay or Sugru. You, once you've got that down, then you go and you
2: actually print it in a more... Um... A robust way. Yeah, yeah. Like it's more durable. More durable. Yeah, yep. that's the word. <laughs> or well, sometimes, I mean, before 3D printing, we'd bake the clay. <laughs> right. Um, polymer clay is a great thing. Um, so... Then we will oftentimes then move. We have something called our living room where we take the solution that we just came up with and go play some video games. Yeah. Go play. You know, get out of the clinical um, space and into the fun space. And then from there, oftentimes there's a grant that's already been put in place because whatever we just created cost 1200 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) And if we have it in stock, we just kind of, Hand it to them and off they go. Off they go, enjoying their, their space. That's kind of how we work here. Mm-hmm. So, where do you get
1: the funding from? Is it mostly from
2: volunteers or is it it's business from, partnerships? It's from people that are listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 91% of our money comes from individuals. You know, Twitch streams, $5 here, um, Humble Bundle, if there's a Humble Bundle for us and you buy the Humble Bundle. Um, we have corporate sponsors, but they don't. They make up the nine percent. The nine percent uh, <laughs> um, of what we do. It's really just people. It's it's gamers, passionate gamers who want to make sure that everyone can play the thing that they love so much.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you don't have to go very far to find someone who knows someone with a disability. So I could see, do you go to different uh, conventions and kind of show off
2: and talk to people? Yeah, we go to different gaming conventions, but we also go to disability conventions like um, the Abilities Expo in Washington, D.C. coming up, um, where we actually show off the technology. Um, But really, it's just, you know, gamers wanting to make sure that everyone can game.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. It's cool. So if you wanted someone, if one of the listeners wanted to get involved or any, all of the listeners wanted to get involved, what do they do? Why? Oh, it's Let's...
2: pretty easy. We keep it real simple. Ablegamers.org. A-B-L-E-G-A-M-E-R-S.org. You can find us on Twitter at Able Gamers. You can find us on Facebook at Able Gamers. I even think I heard we have Instagram <laughs> at AbleGamers. Gamers. Um, <laughs> reach out to us, engage with us, send us an, uh, an email on our website and we will see what we can do. Okay, one last thing just to ask. what's What's been on your mind lately? The thing that's driving you most recently? Virtual reality. I'm really wanting to know what good virtual reality is going to do for people with disabilities. And I'm of two minds of it. I think from a gaming perspective, it's going to be pretty terrible because there's too much movement involved. But from an experiential way of like, Being able to, like, climb the thousand steps to the Buddhist temple, being able to go to a country that you can't go to, to just look around. I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited. Um, Me too. Me too. It's going to be
1: awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Mark.
0: Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome back to Talking With Tech. What an amazing interview, Chris. I'm so excited that we were able to talk to Mark. Yeah,
1: he's a fun guy, right? I mean, he's a guy who gets to work with playing with video games all day and bringing video games to other people. It's fun.
0: Yeah, no, I just really, I thought he had a lot of really great points and I'm really excited to start thinking about ways that I can incorporate gaming into my own practice. Totally, totally. So, Chris, we're kind of changing subjects a little bit, but I know that you have some exciting news, and I was hoping that you would share it with our audience.
1: I do. I do. So uh, coming out here soon, it's actually available for pre-order now, is my new book, Rachel. I have a book coming out that I got to author. Ah, I'm so excited. What is it about? Uh, so the title of the book is called The New Assistive Technology or The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. And it's all about how in this new world of education that we have, where we have project-based learning and the growth mindset and open Educational resources and maker spaces and all that kind of stuff. Um, how does assistive technology fit into it when? When technology is so prevalent in our school districts now, uh, and so that's what it's about. It's about um, helping teachers select uh, technology for students with disabilities, and then how they can then use that same model to then apply that st- the their, uh, apply that same model to all students, right? So that it's not like just for students with disabilities, but for everybody.
0: Yeah, I love that the whole kind of concept of universal design. I think is such an important one because, you know, the the same tool. that we use to help kids with special needs, everybody can benefit from. Yeah, the book has
1: is is just packed with stories of uh, a teacher who started with this one tool that was specifically designed for a student in special education and then maybe it was an accommodation on their IEP. And they just said, well, wait a second, let me just do this for everybody, you know? And so the, the book rolls through a bunch of stories and I have poems and I do song parodies. You know me, I like that. I like to have fun. I, I couldn't imagine reading a textbook that was just boring, you know? So I couldn't, I couldn't possibly write one that way.
0: That's amazing. I'm so excited to check it out. Where can people find it? So if people want to
1: ch- learn more, there's a Facebook page and then they can pre-order now at bit.ly thenewatforall A-T And it doesn't matter if it's numeral four or if they spell out the word four, they both take you to the pl- same place. So it's bit.ly thenewatforall A-T for all.
0: And we can definitely include that in the show notes, so all of you guys listening can go check out Chris's new book. I know I'm really excited to check it out. I think it's going to be it's going to be really great.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, I think. And uh, if it's anything like the last book, there's been a lot of positive feedback. There's already been some buzz about it with people who have been interested in doing book studies and things like that. So there's going to be Twitter chats around it, and so it's just. Uh, it's really exciting to be to be uh, thinking of technology in a new way.
0: Well, thanks so much, you guys, for listening this week to Talking With Tech. You can keep the conversation going on our Facebook page. Just find us by searching Talking With Tech. And please subscribe and rate our podcast on iTunes. It's a really great way for us to find new listeners. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Bye, everybody.